everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. There was a lot to take in last week with Donald Trump leaving the White House, President Joe Biden being inaugurated as president, and here in Detroit, we had another big story. Donald Trump commuted the 28-year sentence of former mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. In the days that have followed that announcement, which came down last Wednesday, there has of course been a really big debate around Kilpatrick's legacy and whether or not he deserves this commutation. That's where we want to spend the hour today, talking about Kwame Kilpatrick, what he represents in terms of leadership and hope and redemption in this city. And as always, we want to hear from you. It seems everybody has an opinion about this news, so... How do you feel about Kwame Kilpatrick in general? And what do you make of his commuted sentence? Is it fair? Is it unfair? And let me add this question to the miss. How much do you really care about this and why? I've been a little surprised the last week at how strongly people still feel about Kwame Kilpatrick, whether they are for him or against him, more than a decade after he's left office. Why is that true? Are you somebody who feels really intensely about this? We'd love to hear what those feelings are and why you have them. We also want to know if you remember Kilpatrick as mayor, And tell us what he represents to you in terms of the leadership he provided for this city and the trouble that he got himself into. And when you compare his leadership to our current mayoral leadership, what do you think about the city? How has it changed? How has it transformed since Kwame Kilpatrick was in charge? A little later in the hour, we are going to talk with outgoing U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, Matthew Schneider, who is one of the people who is really denouncing Trump's decision to commute Kilpatrick's sentence. We'll hear why he is against that. But first, joining me to kick things off are two people with deep ties to the city of Detroit and a really rich understanding of Kilpatrick's role in the city and its governance. Reverend Kenneth Flowers is pastor of Greater New Moriah Baptist Church here in Detroit. Reverend Flowers, great to have you with us on Detroit Today. Good to be here, Reverend, Reverend Brother Stephen Henderson. <laughs> it's Greater New Mount Moriah. So Greater That's New right. Mount Moriah. New Mount Moriah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm you a reverend. <laughs> That's right. You gave me a promotion there. <laughs> uh, and also with us is Karen Dumas. She is communications consultant who served as director of community relations for Kwame Kilpatrick during his time as mayor. She wrote an op-ed in the Detroit News recently titled, What Kwame Kilpatrick's Commutation Means for Detroiters. Karen, as always, great to have you on the show. You as well, Stephen. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with each of your reactions to the news of Kilpatrick's commutation. Reverend Flowers, I will start with you. What did you you feel when you heard that uh, our former mayor uh, is not going to have to serve 28 years in prison? I, I felt a sense of joy. I felt a sense of pride because I recognized that he had served about seven years of his 28-year sentence. I always felt the sentence was uh, excessive, 
And so, and I also realized that he's been going through some health challenges as well. And so I believe that uh, mercy had, had intervened. And mm -hmm. so for me, I felt that uh, God had moved to allow him to come home to be with his family. And so I, I was elated. I was thanking God and praising God. Mm. Uh, Karen, what was your reaction? Well, for me, Stephen, you know, I felt like it, it, it was it was fair, you know, because I long felt that 28 years um, was just too long. And, you know, so for me, I mean, I, I'm a Libra, so I'm a sense of justice at heart for everybody. So I, I was I was glad to see that uh, Donald Trump commuted his sentence. Hmm. So, Karen, near the beginning of your op-ed in the news, you note that, quote, Kilpatrick became a convenient poster child for Detroit's downfall. Uh, you and I have had this conversation for a really long time now about what happened uh, when he got into trouble and, and, and what it meant in the context of, of what was going on in the city. A explain more about what you mean him uh, about him being a, a convenient poster child. Well, Stephen, as you, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, and I often cite your piece that you did uh, before you left the free press, looking at Detroit over the past 40 years and the factors that were in place and the factors that were contributing to Detroit's ultimate demise. People, you know, the, the, the timing of it, you know, after Kilpatrick left, bankruptcy, you know, our decline in population, all of these things, everybody said, okay, this is it. Kwame did all of this. You know, he became a convenient source of blame for things that have been, you know, bubbling over for decades. Um, you know, you hear people talking even now um, with his sentence being commuted that, you know, all the problems that people associate with Detroit from crime to unemployment to, you know, poor city services, they all push back to him. And the reality is, is that there were several factors, regardless of what he did to contribute to the realities and the perceptions of this city. There were factors that had been going on that had existed and that happened after him that contributed to where Detroit realistically is today. And I say realistically because, as I pointed out, the realities of this city do not mirror the rah-rah around its projected comeback. Mm. Mm. Uh, Reverend Flowers, uh, I remember that when uh, when Ka when the news about Kilpatrick turned for the worst, uh, when he got himself into into trouble and and uh, the, the the quote unquote scandal unfolded around him, you were you were one of the people who who felt pretty betrayed by our our former mayor. Uh, talk about those feelings and how how they connect with what you're saying now, which is that. You're happy that he's uh, that he's going to be out of prison. Yes, uh, thank you, Stephen, and, and good to hear from you. Also, uh, Karen, it's a pleasure to hear your voice as well. Let me first of all say, uh, Stephen, that uh, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a moral leader, a, a prophet of God, one of the things that we must always do is we must do what we think is right based upon the Word of God. Um, not based upon popularity or, or popular opinion. Dr. King said uh, many years ago that uh, the politician asked the question, is it popular? Uh, expediency asked the question, uh, the opportunist asked the question, is it expedient? Um, cowardice asked the question, is it safe? But the moral man, the moral woman always asked the question, is it right? And he said there comes a time when you must take a position or take a stand, not because it's popular, not because it's expedient, not because it's safe, because it is right. 
And based upon the circumstances uh, that I was aware of at the time, I felt that uh, for the good of the city, that it was time for uh, Mary Kilpatrick to step down, not because it was a popular thing to do for me to call for his resignation, not because it was the safe thing to do or the expedient thing, but because I thought it was the right thing to do for the good of the city. And then months later, um, several others uh, did the exact same thing. But I took a position not based on popularity. I did it because I felt it was the right thing to do. Mm. Having said that, as a man of God, a man of faith, particularly a Christian man of faith, we also believe in forgiveness. We also believe in redemption. Jesus forgave us of our sins. Jesus redeemed us. And I believe that there's always the opportunity to redeem yourself, to 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 ask for forgiveness and to go forward. Kwame Malik Kilpatrick and I were friends. Uh, he's my fraternity brother. We're both the alpha men. I have never had anything personal against him. So when I called for his resignation, it was never anything personal. It was always based upon the entire situation and what I thought was the best thing for the city of Detroit. And I shared that with um, um, Congresswoman Kilpatrick. I shared that with Carlita. I shared with the entire family that uh, anything I could do in the future for him, I would. And so when the opportunity came to to sign on with other pastors and bishops calling for his res- calling for his release, I signed on because uh, my intent was never to try to be vindictive or even but just to do what we could for the good of the city. And I believe that to take what what I said back then and what I say now that they come together in the unique way of what God's redemption, what God's mercy, what God's love does for all of us. And, and, and if you don't know it, uh, Kwame is also a preacher now. He's, he's now preaching, he's now a minister, and uh, God has touched his heart, touched his mind, touched his spirit, and he has been under Bishop T.D. Jake's leadership, he's been under Bishop J. Drew Shear's leadership, and so I can see that God has intervened and moved in this situation. Hmm. Uh, Reverend Flowers, I wonder if you can talk some about, and I remember that you were one of the first people to say, look, we got to move past this, it is time for him to resign. I wonder if you can talk about the reaction you got when you said that. I mean, you were out there a little, you know, by yourself, but certainly ahead of a lot of other I voices. Get, I get a lot of negative reaction um, um, from pastors, from uh, community leaders, from um, other persons, um, because they thought that I had betrayed our fraternal bond. As you know, when you're a member of fraternity or member of a, a Masonic group, uh, you're brothers for life. And and many people thought, well, you've betrayed uh, him. He's your fraternity brother. And why did you do this? And, and you should have said these things. Um, and as I stated, I told them the exact thing I said. Now I said, I have to answer to a higher calling than Alpha Phi Alpha. I must answer to a higher calling other than um, uh, Prince Hall. I must answer to God Almighty. And I said, and I feel within my heart that this is good for the city. I'm not saying that he's a I personally was one of Kwame Kilpatrick's ardent cheerleaders from day one. Mm-hmm. And it hurt me that he had allowed himself to get sidetracked. I don't think that what he did uh, in, inherently would have been something he had done on his own. I think he may have gotten bad advice. I think he may have had some um, uh, advisors around him that may not have had his best interest at heart but had their best interest heart. And so I think he succumbed to that. Um, I think he was a good person and is a good person. But you know, there's a saying, as you know, that says power corrupts, 
Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. And any of us, when we get into positions of power, we must always pray from preachers on down. We must always constantly pray for God to help us to always keep God at the center of our life, to always keep the people at the front of our life, and to always make it about somebody else, not about us. I preached a sermon yesterday. It's all about Jesus. And my sermon yesterday was talking about uh, that, that movie, It's All About the Benjamins. It came out, I think, in 2002. And we have to recognize, don't make it about ourselves. We must make it about Jesus, make it about God, make it about others. And so I did take a lot of heat. I did get a lot of criticism. But after that, if you remember, the Council of Baptist Pastors and other leaders came out to call for his resignation. And I felt kind of vindicated, but I never shall forget Mildred Gaddis was on the air at the time and Mildred Gaddis made a statement. She said, the Council of Baptist Pastors, she said, I have no respect for you all. She said, uh, Reverend Flowers came out when it was not popular, when it was not expedient. And she, what he said, she said, and now you all are agreeing with Reverend Flowers because it is popular or because you now see that he needs to step down. She said, so uh, he was out there by himself. And so I did take heat, but you know, one thing about it, I, I prayed and I, and I realized it was never personal uh, because I realized that people had strong feelings for uh, Mary Kilpatrick because he was a young black man who gave all of us hope, who gave our city hope, who we thought would be on the national stage uh, doing great things. And, and, and he fell from grace uh, not because of he was inherently evil, but because I believe he got some bad advice and people gave him wrong information and he succumbed to it. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Reverend Kenneth Flowers, the pastor of Greater New Mount Moriah, Moriah Baptist Church in Detroit. Uh, also with Karen Dumas, who was a communications consultant who served as director of community relations for Kwame Kilpatrick when he was mayor. Uh, we're talking about the former mayor of Detroit and the fact that uh, he received a commutation from outgoing President Trump last week. He will not serve 28 years in prison, which is what he was sentenced to in 2013. Instead, he has served about seven and a half of those years and now will have an opportunity to put his life back together outside of prison. Of course, lots of people in the city have a lot of opinions about the commutation of Kwame Kilpatrick and, of course, the legacy of Kwame Kilpatrick. What does that mean to you? Uh, do you remember when Kilpatrick was mayor? Do you think of that time fondly here in the city of Detroit? Uh, do you think that we've gotten better or worse as a city since he left? Uh, also, give us a call and tell us how intensely you still feel about all this. I have been really surprised by the number of people who seem very exercised in one direction or another about uh, Kwame Kilpatrick's fate, given how long he has been out of public life here in the city. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to include you in the conversation. Let's start with Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, yes, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Yeah, uh, definitely his seven years was more than enough for uh, him to serve in prison. It's true that uh, a lot of mistakes were made uh, under his administration. But one of the biggest that uh, no one talks about that uh, he really didn't get tried on was turning the uh, waterboard pines into derivatives. Uh, that was disastrous. Yeah. And uh, some of the things that he tried to do, 
like Wi-Fi, the entire city uh, could have been uh, very uh, beneficial uh, to the whole area. Uh, To tell you the truth, I have uh, more concern about the fact that uh, from a recent hearing uh, before city council, before the COVID struck, that the Financial Review Commission still has an inordinate amount of influence over the city's uh, elected officials. And I don't really believe that uh, Kilpatrick's influence is that much over the public anymore. I think uh, he should be contrite and uh, get on with his life. Mm. Uh, Gene, uh, really appreciate the call. And of course, with you, is there's always great context and 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 history that you that you add to the conversation. Um, all of those things are really relevant to to the way we think about Kilpatrick and we think about the city uh, today. Uh, let's go to Matt in Westland. Matt, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, um, I don't blame Kwame for eliminating. Well, I worked for the city for forty three years. Um, I don't blame Kwame for. The financial stuff, I know that's been going on forever. Um, But as far as Trump's commutation, I just see that as a slap in the face to Detroiters because we all know how many times did he say that 135% of Detroiters voted when in reality it was a record 51, Mm -hmm. which was good. Mm -hmm. But um, we all know that Many of the Republicans, especially the radical ones, think that anyone Democratic is the devil. And, you know, how many times do you say Democratic cities are burning themselves down and this and that? Mm. I just saw that as a slap in the face that Detroiters deserve what Detroiters get after the election. Mm. Wow. Uh, Matt, uh, that's an interesting perspective, Uh, the the idea of who— did this, right? Who made this possible uh, for Kwame Kilpatrick and what that says to Detroiters. So Karen, Karen Dumas, I wonder what you make of Matt's point here. Well, again, you know, things, things are, are, are always divided by, you know, perception, which is shaped by where a person sits, um, and politics. Um, people that are outside, not, not certainly not Matt, particularly, but people outside of the city seem to have the strongest, um, you know, <laughs> opinions about what goes on in a city that many of them either have never visited, don't live in, uh, and have constantly criticized over the years. I, Dr. Wilder, I mean, we speak from a perspective of living here. I'm a lifelong Detroiter. I have carried high taxes, navigated crime, dealt with, you know, subservient um, city services. So I'm speaking from a completely different um, perspective when I talk about the impact of, you know, Kilpatrick, this administration, other administrations. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, we have, we have to take into consideration where a person is coming from and where a person is speaking from before we totally ingest or absorb their perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stephen, can I add uh, also? Go ahead. What Karen just stated, because I lived in Los Angeles for eight years and lived in Atlanta. I went to Morehouse. And I never forget that when I told people I was from Detroit, their perception of Detroit, this was before Kwame was even mayor. This was back, back in the days of Coleman Young and mm-hmm. Dennis Archer. But just the mere perception that I'm from Detroit, folk would make little jokes like, that's a good place to be from. <laughs> and when I got to LA, 
1987, to my surprise, folk were like, oh, you're from Detroit, man. They kill folk up there. I'm scared of you. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you all have the Crips and the Bloods out here in L.A. I'm afraid of you all. But, the but, think, about how that, but think about how that's changed unrealistically. Yeah. Now people are like, oh, my God, there's so many great things going on in Detroit. Detroit has bounced back. Detroit is – it's all about perception. And and yes. that is unfair and it's unrealistic. Those of us who live here yes. know that we are still wrangling with the same things, including declining population that we've been exactly. dealing with for the for the longest. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this really great conversation with uh, Reverend Kenneth Flowers and Karen Dumas, and continue the conversation with you, the listeners, Stephen Detroit, Merrill in Detroit. Uh, we'll get to you as well. We've also got a number of comments on social media that I will mix into the conversation. If you want to join, 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city, your town, your voice on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining my guests. Our Reverend Kenneth Flowers, pastor of Greater New Mount Moriah Baptist Church here in the city of Detroit. Also with us is Karen Dumas. She's a communications consultant who served as director of community relations for Kwame Kilpatrick when he was the city's mayor. We're talking about Kilpatrick, the news involving him last week that he received a commutation from former President Donald Trump, which means that after... A little more than seven years he has left uh, prison. He was originally sentenced to 28 years, almost four times uh, the amount that he had already served. A lot of people thought that sentence was unfair from the beginning and are happy to see him now uh, out of prison after serving less time. Other folks seem really exercised about the idea that he got any kind of consideration uh, from the president. Uh, People who feel as though the things he did to us as Detroiters, the things that he left behind uh, in the city of Detroit, the problems that he left behind uh, as a result of his scandal, were worth 28 years in prison. Uh, what do you think about the mayor's, the former mayor's commutation? How strongly do you feel about the former mayor's commutation? Is it something that's really got you worked up either in favor of him or against. Uh, And what do you think of Detroit now versus Detroit when Kwame Kilpatrick was mayor? Do you feel like things are going much better? Or are we in the same predicament we always were? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into... The conversation. Uh, I want to read a couple social media comments here. Um, Brian on Twitter says how he and his dad got double digit years when neither one killed anybody is beyond me. He didn't do anything the Clintons haven't done. Sorry to say, but I think this has a lot to do with what he looks like. That's why President Trump uh, pardoned him. Actions speak louder than words. Chris on Twitter says glad to see Kilpatrick is out. 
This is bound on my belief that there is a better way than incarceration to penalize and rehabilitate nonviolent offenders in the modern age. Chase on Twitter says, what angers me most following this just outcome is some white leaders in Metro Detroit doubled down on Kilpatrick's culpability, once again absolving themselves and their communities of any wrongdoing in the economic state of Detroit and the region. It is racism. Uh, let's go to Merrill in Detroit. Uh, Merrill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. Sure. Um, this uh, topic is pretty emotional for me. Um, uh, I, when Kwame was going through his legal troubles, I was also going through uh, some legal troubles. Um, and just coincidentally, I met Kwame Kilpatrick at my father's inauguration. Uh, I won't say what city, and uh, met him, and he was a good stand-up person. And uh, ran into him a couple of other times afterwards, um, doing gra- working with grassroots organizations uh, through the Highland Park or, or the North End area or the New Center area. And um, when everything went down with him and with his family and his friends, I, you know, I remember hearing the reports of what happened and what he did. Um, and yeah, they, they were bad. But it was still a good person there. And um, going through my incarceration, I was incarcerated for four years, mm. a little four, four and a half years in MDOC. And um, it was emotional. And it wasn't just about myself. Um, I felt like I let not myself down, but my family, my community, uh, the city, mm. who my father represented. And it was a tough burden to bear. And um, I know that he probably felt that while he was in there. And I remember coming out and it was hard. It's still hard. I've applied so many places. It's been challenging for me to get on my feet. But I see this man, and he can be a beacon or a sign or a symbol of hope, depending on how he's used throughout the city. I really think that he's really needed in the neighborhoods, grassroots organizations. And um, I really think he was targeted because what he stood for at that time. Mm. And again, I know that you know he had some flaws. He did some things that we weren't proud of, but this man redeemed himself. You know, he deserves it. You know, I felt that, you know, with Dr. Uh, with Miss Dumas was saying, you know, it's a scapegoat even, you know. So, yeah. Reverend Flowers, I just want to say you, you weren't wrong. You told the truth. You told the truth. That's your brother. You told the truth. He's always going to be your brother. So mm. that's all I had to say. I just wanted to share that. Well, you know, uh, Merrill, first of all, I really really appreciate uh, your call and, and you sharing your story uh, that it's a really powerful uh it's a really powerful thing to consider when we're talking about something like this uh but but reverend flowers i i want to have you respond you know in our community um you know this is this is the story for lots of reasons uh race being one of the most prominent of course uh you know incarceration is part of life in our communities and and you know all of us know people who 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 get caught up in it. And I think part of what you're talking about is the idea that there has to be a path forward, afterward. There has to be this possibility for, you know, redemption and hope after somebody serves their time. Yes, I, I was just going to say, I appreciate that, uh, Stephen. Um, mass incarceration, and I wanted to speak directly to Merrill, um, because my, my late oldest brother who just passed away suddenly in November. He was a part of the criminal justice system. He was incarcerated for a total of 32 years 
over his life. And the last time he was incarcerated, he served 20 years, from 1994 to 2014. Um, and so I know about persons who are incarcerated. A young man, uh, Minister Darrell Woods, was serving a life sentence in prison, and the Lord used me to be able to reach the governor, uh, Governor Snyder, to uh, get his sentence commuted. Yes. And yes. so thank and praise God for that. And there are others. So because of my experience with my loved ones being incarcerated and knowing churchmen and others, we have to do something about mass incarceration. And Merrill, I hope and pray that you are working now. If you are not working, then I would ask you to please contact uh, me at my church, 313-871-8025. That's 313-871-8025. And if you can't reach me, if I'm not there, ask for my executive minister, Reverend Moorhead, Reverend Moorhead. And that way we can see what we can do to try to put you in touch with people who can possibly help find you a job. We must do something, uh, Stephen, um, to recognize that uh, this whole notion of mass incarceration, and then when you get out, you do your time, then you can't get a job because it's on your record that I'm an ex-offender. I'm an ex. Well, the word ex means I'm no longer. Where does redemption come? Where does this whole notion of getting ourselves redeemed? We must recognize that we got to do something in this whole system to help our returning citizens. Yeah. So we need to use the term returning citizens. They are citizens who went away. They did their time, but now they're returning citizens. We got to stop using the negative term ex-offenders or ex-cons because that then labeled them in such a way that no one wants to be a part of them. So they are returning citizens. What can we do to help returning citizens get back reacclimated into society, make a decent living, take care of their families so they don't go back and commit more crimes because they don't have money or don't have income. Mm, yeah. Uh, Karen, before we get to more callers, uh, I, I want to talk about the you know, the culture of corruption that certainly the U.S. attorney here in Southeast Michigan, that office has talked a long time about the culture of corruption, not just with Kwame Kilpatrick, but, you know, over a long period of time, not just in the city of Detroit, but you look at what's gone on in Macomb County over the last uh, over the last decade with all of the convictions out there um, and how Kilpatrick fits into that and how that has changed and not changed since he's been gone here in the city of Detroit. We have uh, a city council member right now who's uh, who's facing uh, corruption charges uh, and, and still still a member of the council. This is this is a long term story in the city of Detroit. And well, like you said, Stephen, it's not just in Detroit, but again, yeah, and he's still sitting at the table and voting. Um, and under other circumstances, I don't see how that would be allowed. We've had we have outstanding questions about uh, 250 million dollars in demolition money from the feds. Um, that was misappropriated. Um, there have been questions about the Motor City Match dollars, um, and, and that's just here. So for me, having been in politics in several capacities, it's the process, and, and it, it, the, the accountability isn't there to help ensure that people are not becoming intoxicated with power or knowing how to navigate a system um, that 
serves both themselves and maybe and maybe not their constituents. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 I wanted to say something about the judicial system quickly, Stephen, um, because people, chant, you know, they, they, they want to celebrate when a person gets a sentence that they think is fair. But that same system allows for commutation or pardon. They can't criticize it. So either the system works or the system doesn't. Mm. But I will encourage people, we, we, we don't have to look very far for a compromise um, in, in, in integrity uh, and, and to, to identify where there are similar, <clears throat> excuse me, if not identical incidents um, that, are, that are still taking place. But, you know, we have a different narrative now, Steve. People are excited and they want Detroit one to win, and they want it to win on the watch of someone that they either like or have supported. Um, we see a completely different shift in how things are covered. Um, you know, Ronnie Dahl from from Channel Four just said, you know, she on Twitter she says it would be interesting to see if media if the media grants Kilpatrick and his family the same privacy that they did immediately when the Duggan family asked for it after the reports of his affair in the mayor's office. Mm-hmm. And, and this subsequent divorce. So, you know, we, we, we play things too personally as opposed to a set playbook and how we handle people, how we handle situations. You know, if everything were objective, th- things, things would be different, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Andrew in Detroit. Andrew, welcome to the show. Okay. Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Um, I was opposed to the commutation, and I'll tell you why. Well, I don't know whether the sentence was harsh or not harsh. Throughout all of this, I don't get the impression that there's any remorse or offer of restitution. Number two, some of the lives that he damaged. Well, Gary Brown is one. Harold Nelthorpe was another one. Hmm. You know, two former police officers. And... uh, as I said, uh, throughout all of this, there doesn't seem to be any remorse here. The only thing, the Kwame Kilpatrick, well, I'll call it moral perception. The only thing he thinks that he did what was wrong was to get caught. Mm-hmm. If he didn't get caught, he wouldn't have thought there was anything wrong with what he did. Andrew, I, I appreciate the call and the and the perspective. I, I've seen a lot of that out there on social media, and I've heard a lot of that kind of reaction. Uh, Reverend Flowers, you're someone who knows uh, Kwame Kilpatrick quite well. You know what he's been doing and has been like over uh, the past seven years while he's been incarcerated. And you were talking a little earlier about how you think he has changed. Uh, uh, sort of address let, what Andrew's saying in, in that yeah, context. Let me say this, that I believe personally um, that Kwame Malik Kilpatrick has shown remorse. Um, when the when the trial went down, when he first was arrested, of course he he came across as being arrogant, cocky, not remorseful because he was trying to stay out of, out of jail. So he kept saying, "I didn't do, it, I didn't do it." But since those seven years, as I've stated, he has uh, even before he went to jail, he sat under the leadership of Bishop J. Drew Shear, his pastor in Detroit. He went to Texas. He sat under the leadership of Bishop T. D. Jakes, and I know for a fact that he has expressed remorse and shown remorse both to Bishop Jakes, both to Bishop uh, J. Drew Sheard. And during his incarceration, he has now become a minister of the gospel. He has been 
preaching and teaching others while incarcerated about his mistakes and how not to make the same mistakes again. So he cannot undo what he did, but he can show the world. He can show those whom he hurt that I am sorry, I made a mistake, and I would encourage you not to go down the same path that I did. No, he has not had a press conference to say, uh, I've done X, Y, Z in terms of showing my remorsefulness, but in his own private way with his pastors, Bishop Shear and Bishop T.D. Jakes, and throughout his incarceration, he has shown himself to be remorseful and to make amends for his wrongs. And, and do you all, expect, Reverend Flowers, do you expect that he will be doing that in a in a in a more public way, perhaps here in Detroit now that he's out? Do you know what his plans are to try to address some of that? Actually, I cannot say that because I don't know. Yeah. And so all I can do is just be prayerful that whatever he does going forward, it will be for the good of himself, his family, as well as the city of Detroit. Uh, only Kwame Malik Kilpatrick can decide which path he takes now going forward in terms of how he addresses the city, how he addresses uh, this whole issue of remorsefulness. Uh, but I think right now we have to give him the space, give him the time to to spend with his mother, his sister, his sons, mm. to spend the time with his family just to enjoy his freedom. And when he has had time to reflect upon his freedom and to reflect upon his incarceration, I think at the appropriate time, he will then make the statements he needs to make. And when he makes those statements, I think he will uh, show his remorsefulness. I think he will show uh, his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, Reverend Kenneth Flowers, pastor of Greater New Mount Moriah Baptist Church in Detroit. Great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm praying for our city. I'm praying for uh, Kwame and his family. I'm praying for all of us that we can go forward and move our city together forward by the grace of God. And let's continue to pray for him. Remember, as I stated, as I've seen my brothers come out of prison and others come out. When a person comes out of prison, they need prayer more than anything. So we need prayer for him and we need to pray he can find a means of taking care of himself and his family financially. Mm, yeah. Uh, and also Karen Dumas, communications consultant, uh, who was community director of community relations for Tommy Kilpatrick when he was mayor. Always great to have you here as well. Thank you, Steve, and I appreciate it. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Matthew Schneider, who is the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Just resigned that post as we change presidents, uh, but we're going to get his thoughts on the Kilpatrick commutation. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about Kwame Kilpatrick, former mayor of the city of Detroit, handed a commutation by President Donald Trump on his way out of the White House last week. Lots and lots of reaction to it, some positive, some negative. The thing that surprised me, how strongly so many people still feel about Kwame Kilpatrick, the things he did, what he was sentenced to for them, and what is happening to him now. He has not been mayor of this city for more than a decade. The attachment 
to this story is one of the things that I think is one of the more interesting dynamics. We want to continue the conversation now with uh, someone else who has a pretty strong opinion about all of this. Uh, Matthew Snyder is the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, just tendered his resignation to the Biden administration, as is customary uh, for uh, U.S. attorneys who are presidential appointees when there is a change in the guard in the White House. Matthew Schneider, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. You certainly have had a lively show this morning. I've enjoyed listening to it. (laughs) There's nothing about Kwame that is ever dull, right? (laughs) Whenever you're talking about him. (laughs) I think that's right. And You know, let me kind of start by making an important point, I believe. You know, he, Mr. Kilpatrick was sentenced to 28 years in prison. And I think a lot of reasonable minds can disagree about that. Some people have said that's too long. Okay, I understand that. So let's say you cut that sentence in half to 14 years. And uh, reasonable people might disagree and people might say that's too long. Other people might say that is fair. The problem I see in this case is he actually only served seven years, which is one quarter of his sentence. Mm. And so when you look at what the Congress has established as to what his sentence should be and what he actually served, he only served seven years. And that's a lot lower than a lot of other people who have done less, fewer, you know, committed fewer crimes. And I think it's really unjustifiable that that sentence doesn't match what he did to the city of Detroit by by robbing it, by pillaging it, and I think it's really unjustifiable to have such a low sentence for so, this crime. So let's talk some about that that sentence and why it was so long. I, I see a lot of people expressing opinions about it, and often I, I, I cringe a little, either because they think it's too long or not long enough or whatever, but I think there's not a ton of understanding about the federal sentencing system and how it works. One of the problems that Kwame Kilpatrick had uh, in his sentencing was the number of counts, of course, that he was convicted on. It was quite high, 24. Uh, you, You don't see that very frequently, and that is an enhancer in terms of his sentence, but also the the amount of money that was involved uh, in those crimes right. is one of the things that that also enhances sentences in the, in the federal sentencing system. But but let's just by comparison, and I see this comparison raised a lot. Let's talk about Rod Blagojevich, who was the former governor of Illinois, who was convicted of trying to to sell essentially Barack Obama's Senate seat after he was elected president. It's a pretty heinous crime in and of itself, he was only sentenced, for instance, to about seven years. And I think a lot of people look at that and they say, well, that's a worse crime, That's or at least is bad. And he didn't get so much time. But again, there's you have to look at the, the you know, all of these things aren't apples to apples. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that the way that the system works, Kwame had a lot of things that, that were going to raise that sentence uh, in a way that other people didn't. Well, you can also look at Jimmy DeMora, who was a county official in Ohio, who got about 27, 28 years. You can look at Dean Reynolds in Macomb County, who was an elected official in Macomb, who got over 10 years. And you can look at James Warner, who was embezzling or stealing money from the Detroit Metro Airport, who got over 10 years. Let's think about that. You've got, those are just three examples. Mm-hmm. So look at Reynolds and Warner. 
the committing local crimes that aren't even anywhere close to what Kwame Kilpatrick did, and they're still in prison, and they're getting over 10 years. But Kwame Kilpatrick, who committed grand racketeering crimes, turning his office into a racketeering enterprise, taking uh, contracts and steering them to his friends, it's exactly what we don't want people to do. And his sentence is so much lower now, mm. and I think that's unfair. So, so the other thing that that uh, that this conversation I think evokes for a lot of people is frustration with the criminal justice system itself and the imbalances that we see that are racially tinged. That that you know African Americans uh, get the worst of it uh, when 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 we talk about criminal justice uh, in this country. And I think it's it, it's impossible to divorce uh, a specific case like this from, from that kind of context. I wonder, uh, as a U.S. attorney uh, whose job is to enforce the law, how you, how you answer that criticism. Well, we don't look at people's skin color or race or ethnicity when we charge crimes. We just, we never do that. Um, if you're looking at comparisons, you know, Reynolds and Warner and Demora, you know, they're all white. And they're serving longer sentences. I just, I don't personally think that's a very helpful comparison. I do think that the rate of incarceration for African American males is high, mm-hmm. and that shouldn't be. I mean, I've been working with Chief Craig and Mayor Duggan to work directly with members of the community and people who have committed crimes in the past to tell them, put your guns down. You know, we, we have to stop doing this and. I think we should all work on that together. And, and let me also say, Stephen, there's a whole other part about this that we have to think about. And I know that Reverend Flowers talked about this. I'm not happy that Kwame Kilpatrick served only seven years of his 28. But what's done is done. He, he's out now. He's received clemency. So let's hope that he establishes a good family bond with his, his boys. Let's hope that he turns that into a good family structure. And let's hope that he makes the most of it, because, you know, let, let, let's God bless him, wish him well, because it's over now. And so now we have to move on, take the ne- next step and hope that he makes the, the best thing that he can in his life. Yeah. I, I want to go back to this question of racial bias in the system. I mean, uh, do you think, though, that that Kwame Kilpatrick, if he had been white, would have gotten the same kind of treatment. And, I, and I'm talking about everything from charging to sentencing. I mean, th- th- that's the thing that, that frustrates uh, us as African-Americans is when you look at uh, the imbalance, it's not just about who commits crimes. It is about the race of victims often is something that seems to to, to influence charging, um, uh, The you know, the imbalance that we see in terms of incarceration has racial motivators uh, and not just it's not happenstance well if you if you look at when Kwame Kilpatrick was charged and what happened in that case Eric Holder was the attorney general of the United States sure <laughs> right so uh, if you're trying to say that it's not about actors there. as much as it is about institutions, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, right. Eric Holder didn't didn't decide, you know, because he was black that he was going to face uh, more charges. Well, I think anyone, any prosecutor, who says 
based on your race, you're going to receive more charges, they should be disbarred and probably prosecuted. And they, they, they belong in jail. I mean, we can't do that. It's a violation of the Constitution. It's a violation of our oaths. Mm. So I would hope that that would never happen. Yeah, uh, I'm talking with Matthew Schneider. He is the U.S. Attorney for Eastern District of Michigan, the outgoing U.S. Attorney for Eastern District of Michigan. We're talking about Kwame Kilpatrick, the sentence he reserved. Uh, he served uh, uh, for uh, the 24 counts, I think it was, 23 or 24 counts of uh, racketeering, uh, and the fact that he got a commutation last week from President Donald Trump on his way out of the White House. Uh, let's go to Levi in Southfield. Levi, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, I just wanted to say with 2020 hindsight, Matthew, that uh, shouldn't have Kwame been charged under state law as well. So that, again, with 2020 hindsight, nobody thought we'd have a president who would do these kind of pardons that uh, Kwame would still be uh, serving a sentence. Hmm. That's an interesting question, uh, Levi. There was, of course, there were start state charges uh, against him, I believe, obstruction of justice and perjury. Uh, but should there have, I guess, I guess the question is, should there have been broader state charges uh, that that were more similar to the to the federal charges? Of course, you can't charge people twice with things. But uh, but how do you answer that, Matthew? Right. So he was convicted in state court of different crimes, and he is still convicted of 24 federal felonies, racketeering, bribery, extortion, fraud. So he still has those convictions. It's not like those convictions went away. You know, oftentimes we see this in cases where, for example, a bank robbery, you know, you can charge a bank robbery under state law or federal law. You can do it either way. And sometimes we do it under the state system. Sometimes we do it under the federal system. We'd have to pick one which has the most effect and which is most appropriate. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to charge in both venues. There are policies against that, in fact, because there are lots of other cases that we have to deal with. So in this particular case, the federal racketeering statute was broader and was able to cover his his conduct. And so we felt that that was the more appropriate way to go. Yeah. Okay, Matthew Schneider, uh, U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. What's next for you now that, uh, now that you will no longer be the U.S. Attorney? Well, it's a wonderful job. And uh, I need to step aside, though, because President Biden needs to get the U.S. attorney that he wants. Sure. And I remember when when President Trump fired Barb McQuaid, the previous U.S. attorney, and you might remember this, Stephen, people were outraged that that would happen. Well, no one should have been outraged at all because a president gets the ability to pick the U.S. attorney. That's not outrageous. Yeah, well, they typically Very resign common. rather than get fired. But yeah. I well, mean, when Bill Clinton <laughs> fired all the U.S. attorneys, no one seemed to bat an eye. Well, people mean, thought, I you, thought that was not cool either. But. <laughs> so well, what, 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 what's going to be next for you, Matthew? Well, you know I'm going into the, yeah, I'm going into the private practice of okay. law. My next step is to take care of my family and go on to the next adventure. Yeah. yeah okay. that's, that's what we'll do. Yeah. Well, we wish you luck with that. And uh, of course, thanks for joining us here on the show. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when I am going to talk with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell about what is going on in our capital. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.